How's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast where we talk with musicians about songwriting and the creative process. Our guest today is Margot Silker, whose excellent debut full-length record, Poho Real, was released late last year. I'm joined here in the Tell You What Epiplex by our executive producer and spiritual advisor, Susan. Always good to have you here. It's really nice here. The Epiplex is pretty sweet, right? It's sweet. <laughs> now, in this episode, Susan, our guest, Margot, brings up an excellent question. She's asked something like, how many of our guests have mentioned playing at open mics? I'm so glad you are here with me because you happen to have at your fingertips, right, a powerful database of all things tell you what that you've masterminded and maintained. Mm-hmm. Correct? Correct. Correct. So you were able to answer this question. The database. Yes. You have the database. The database tells us the answer. So how many of our guests have mentioned playing at open mics? Four have mentioned it. Four have mentioned it. I didn't always it. ask, but yes. It's not that many, but only because I never specifically asked about open mics. Perhaps. Maybe I should start asking. Maybe. But four guests have brought it up on their own while talking about their musical journeys. Right. All right. Glad we got that straight. Open mics are awesome, aren't they? Mm-hmm. If you happen to live in our neighborhood, the neighborhood of the Tell You What Studio Zepaplex, which is the greater Chicago Evanston area, please come check out the open mic that Susan and I help facilitate over at Grandpa's Place in Glenview, Illinois, every Tuesday night at 730, right? Right. If you live somewhere else, you should find your own open mic. We have a lot of fun. We've made a lot of friends. These local open mics give people the space to be creative, make some joyful noise, sing along, or just watch and support the community. I think a lot of people would be surprised at how welcoming and encouraging many open local mic communities are. Aren't they? No apologies. No apologies at our open mic. That's the rule. That's our first rule. Yeah. So give it a try. Find an open mic. All right, so let's talk a bit about this episode. I first heard Margot's music early, earlier last year when she released a couple of singles from this record. Music grabbed me right away. I was able to talk with her in December after the record had been out for just a bit. In the meantime, since then, her music has attracted some serious attention. I just saw the Americana radio album charts, and there was her album, Poho Reel, at number nine in Rising, sitting alongside Billy Strings, The Lumineers, Brandy Carlisle. Pretty good for a first try, but really great to see her music getting the attention it deserves. I discussed with Margot the making of her album, Poho Reel, and she talks about working with Sarah Cahoon as producer on the record. Sarah, a very talented singer-songwriter herself. We talk about Sarah's decision to bring in Jenny Conley to play piano and keyboards. Jenny Conley from one of our favorite bands, the Decemberists, right, Susan? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those Portlandia fans listening may also know Jenny from her role as the musical act Sparkle Pony in the early Portlandia episodes. You remember Sparkle Pony? Now I can picture her and hear her. Yes. Anyway, as Margot says, Sarah Cahoon's instinct to bring Jenny in was dead on. The piano and keyboard sounds on this record add some real magic to these songs, surprising even Margot with how well it worked. It is clear that Margot is a real talent. This record is so great. I would put her maybe in a category with a couple of my other younger recent guests like Buffalo Nichols, Katie Kirby, Katie Pruitt, who, while they came out of the gate with stellar, critically acclaimed debut records, they're also just kind of figuring out what they're good at, gaining full use of their powers, such that I really, really look forward to seeing what they, and in this case, Margot, come up with in the near future. So let's get to it. Here 
is our Tell You What discussion with Margot Silker. Margot Silker, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. So glad you chose to take the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, let's uh, let's dig in. Yeah, let's dig in. Uh, let's set the scene. I am at the Tell You What uh, Towers Multiplex in Evanston, Illinois. You are in the, in, the West, <laughs> in the West Coast in California. Do I have that right? You got it right. All right. Your wonderful album, Poho Real, has been out for a little while now, getting some well-deserved attention. This album was a long time coming. How does it feel to reflect on these songs now that they've been out breathing in the world for a little bit, finally? Reflecting on the songs. Well, it feels good to have them out there. It's been interesting to watch people kind of interpret them. And sometimes I find they're they're spot on. And sometimes I think they're out out in left field but you know <laughs> that's also what you do you hand it out you like you give it out and that's they, t- they take it and it's theirs now and that's what you yeah. can do you know well we'll see how i do today <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, i don't know i like i like having kind of a little more ambiguous uh some more ambiguous themes and stuff in yeah. my music and i don't know there's enough love love me do's out there I may as well throw some more song content content out there <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to get to that ambiguity a little later for sure. Um, Let's go back in time now, if we can, for a little bit. Can you talk about uh, musical memories you may have from your early years, some of the music that was around in your home or community when you were young that maybe has made its presence known in what you're creating now? Well, I grew up singing in church and uh, I grew up going to Presbyterian church and that was, I was in church choir and um, in musicals and just always in some kind of music program. And so, yeah, music of the church definitely, definitely impacted me as a musician, you know, being able to sight read music in the choir and like follow harmony lines in the hymnal, you know? Right. I mean that, but it also is just kind of like, I would sing with my grandmother and my sister and my cousins and it just kind of flowed, you know, we weren't up, like, it's just something that would we'd just click into it. You know, we didn't really think about it very much. Yeah. Um, we were all studying music and we all loved music, but then like that singing together, just breaking into song, <laughs> breaking into song and dance, you know, that's something <laughs> that existed in a very, like, in a very hokey way in my childhood, you know, and I was a boisterous child, needless to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> out of control, <laughs> boisterous, um, punchy. I often, <laughs> Punchy. I was, yeah, I was kind of punchy. I was very spirited. I was, I had a lot. My parents would call me a personality donor. <laughs> so, was so. do you consider your voice then your first instrument? Um, yes, I would. Yeah, I remember like singing in the kindergarten graduation pageant, or you know, like I just have memories of always being up on the risers performing. Like, that was always a thing. And then I took piano lessons, and um, that was started when I was really young, and then I quit piano at some point. 
um, and picked up guitar when I was in um, sixth grade. There was a lunchtime guitar class, and it was really, it was wonderful. It was laid back and kind of focused on, um, it's kind of like voice and guitar together. You know, I wasn't learning guitar songs. It was like, I'm learning chords so we can accompany our singing. And that was a cool angle to just jump right into. And, you know, it's been hard to retrofit my guitar playing (laughs) to be just more based on on the music, you know, just like from the get go, it was like, all right, we're going to learn how to play hound dog. (laughs) You know, it was like chords singing. We just wrote a song. Boom. You know, it's like, and I took that formula and I was just, I took it and ran with it, you know, and I started patching songs together and just, I absolutely loved it. But yeah, it's been, it's hard to now separate the guitar from the voice, you know? Hmm. So when you say patching songs together, you're talking about writing original material or figuring out existing songs? Um, well, definitely both. But yeah, I mean, I've been, I mean, I wrote a lot of songs just in high school, I guess I just started, started coming up with stuff, but nothing I would play out. And then yeah. Um, when I went away to college, I started playing my my songs I had written like on the open mic circuit. So I mean, open mics, you know. <laughs> yes. I, I, I'd be curious to know what percentage of your artists that you interview do not mention the open mic circuit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a uh, database that my executive producers put together. Commonalities <laughs> between my guests. Oh my we'll have to add the open mic category to that, and then we'll get back you to you. You should. You should. <laughs> As an oh, open yeah. mic host myself, I am interested in the answer to that oh, question. Man. So college was when you first started performing songs you had written yourself. Yeah. Like I'd been kind of building up to that, you know, and I was really, well, I was studying in the Southeast. I was, I was at Clemson University in South Carolina mm-hmm. and um, I was really into these like kind of post song, post country songwriters in Nashville, like Tristan, Caitlin Rose. Like Andrew Combs, are you do you, are you familiar with that yes. contingency? Yeah, like their songwriting to me felt like kind of more polished than the country I had been exposed to. Right, you have these writers yes. that are like in Music City and in the heart of the beast, but they're making like maybe took a classic country chord progressions and like changed them a little, and then wrote about kind of more personal, like deeper emotions than just. She broke my heart. He broke my heart. You know, it was a little deeper, more about like existence, more about, you know, just kind of like, it's funny. Maybe it's the vein of like emo music that influenced everyone. I don't know what it was. It's so interesting, but it was just more. Uh, Well, that was happening at the same time. Yeah. 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 Emo. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting how that their songwriting just felt a lot more exciting to me, you know? Um, Yeah. Did you have other creative pursuits along the way, uh, creative writing, anything like that? Not really. I mean, I was studying yeah. language, um, and I took like some, a bunch of English courses because I just like loved reading, and I thought English was interesting. But you know, I was non-committal. I didn't want to. I didn't want homework. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> like I knew I wanted to. Like I wanted to make a band, or I don't know. I I was like I was a very passionate student, but. Um, yeah. You know, I wanted to, I wanted a little bit of everything, and I just wanted to feel an inspiration more than, like, dis- have discipline, you know? Well, let me ask you this. Your major was not music, Correct. right? yeah. You just said. So was a creative life something that was encouraged or tolerated within your family? Um, 
my parents, like, they, they knew that they couldn't, like, extricate the music from my life, you know, it was very clearly something that is not gonna, like, can't be, <laughs> can't be suppressed or, yep. you know, I mean, no parent loves to hear that their, their kid wants to drive around in their, living out of their car chasing songwriters and i don't know like i mean it's hard to sell that to parents believe me i i, I know <laughs> yeah it's a tough <laughs> sell right and like yes. to the, in their defense i mean geez like i can't say i'd wish that upon my child <laughs> but, but tolerated at least right yeah i mean i think i mean it was more like definitely make something of yourself but yeah. you know i don't work hard make it happen it's like okay that's what you want to do well then go do it but Right. You know, or maybe like set the timer, you know, here we go. Like, that's fine. Yes. If that's what you want. Go do it. But, you know, you're still off our health insurance when you turn 26. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and that's the thing. There are these like, that's just growing up. And there are these things you, there are natural pressures to get your music off the ground, right? There are mounting pressures just of like growing up and being independent that, that help, you know, help kind of push you along. Take a realistic approach. Yeah. Yes. So from your perspective, when did you realize that this is something you had to keep doing, writing and performing as your primary function as opposed to as a pastime? Well, I mean, I would just say like the general obsession with it. I mean, the tears, the drama. I mean, it's just I care so much, you know, it's like just the the absolute obsession. Yeah. But it was always there. You always thought this is where you were headed. I think so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't really know how to do it. <laughs> but, right. I mean, there are definitely moments when I was, like, 18 or, you know, in my, like, 18 or 19 when I would, like, start going to festivals and, like, seeing people on stage. And, like, it's like, okay, it's like I know a B minor chord on the guitar. Like, I can do this, you know. Or, like, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's kind of like I'm kind of peek behind the curtain and it's like well I can do this I know I can do this yeah you know and it's just that audacity I guess to pursue it um and then you know you ask any creative and they'll say like you know what's worth it about songwriting and performing to you what makes it worth it and it's like well we have a really rich community and we have these beautiful memories and we're traveling and there are all these awesome things and like what a hack to be able to make that my daily mission you know I mean what right. a you know, it's like I want. I would best case scenario, I would have spent my twenties traveling around. It's just I had like a an even better way to do that. You know, right? That's great. Well, let's talk about your creative process a bit, if we can. Yeah. As a songwriter, so do you find you have a consistent practice? Say, sitting down at regular times of the day, see what arises, or does it tend to come in streaks, or you wait till something strikes you and you work with that? I don't have a strict, I don't have, there are, there's certain, there's a little bit of a pattern, you know, I will say, but I, I feel like my life has just been too all over the place to have like a writing practice, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know, do I have a home off? Like, do I have a desk? I don't know. I just moved. Like, I, I'm still figuring that out. Um, yeah, I, I do like writing in the morning. That's definitely my, the time when I get, when I work with my songs is definitely in the morning. I mean, that's just like the richest time for me to be creative is just waking up to be alone in the house and have time with my, with my music. That's definitely the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Are there any practices you have to try and summon the right mind space, walking, driving, meditation, those kind of things? Yeah. So walking, I mean, obviously I usually sit down first and like I sit with the songs and something I do is try to resolve, you know, like work on the current song I'm writing. I usually have one beast at a time that I'm trying to tame, you know, and then I'll like, you know, oh, okay. I have, I usually, I'll be like, okay, I have the first verse and I have to, I have the chorus and I need that second verse, you know, and I'll spend the morning just hacking it to death. And then it's like, okay, I have to step away. I'll go walk up the hillside and like literally walk around singing. (laughs) And this is where it came in handy to live in a place like rural Eastern Oregon. (laughs) So I could just literally walk around and, you know, just sing my songs out to the, to the elk on the prairie. (laughs) Like that was, that's really nice. You know, um, but this leads me to another question. I, a number of your songs don't follow a straight narrative arc, right? They sometimes, to me, seem like different reflections on a theme or a thread. Mm. Interesting what you just said, that, that you work on one song at a time, because it seems to me songs like this might come in pieces over a period of time. You might find something later that, oh, this is what I was talking oh, about well, back then. Yeah, that definitely happens. And actually what I was going to go back to is that I have like a song I'm working on at a time because that's what's spiked my curiosity and I want to see how the song's going to end, right? It's that yes. interest in the song. And then if I if that falls flat, then I I do do like song resolution and I have my like bone pile of songs and then it's like, okay, let's let's see if I can resolve one of these pieces. Okay. And that's I mean, that's a great practice and it's not always I mean, sometimes it's like better to just get it done and tie the just tie it up and it's a good practice for songwriting, of course, to just, even if you don't love it, it might not be your hit, but you just finished a song. And like Elizabeth Gilbert, I'm just, I, I really like her approach to uh, creativity and mm-hmm. she writes about that a lot. Just like finish the damn thing, turn it in, start the next one. <laughs> don't yeah. dwell on it. Like for, for God's sake, like there's, I don't know. <laughs> keep the, the agony momentum. of the unfinished. Product. Yeah. Yeah. The agony, like you can just drive yourself insane. So do you usually have the guitar with you when you're in the in that songwriting mode? I do, I do. And then like obviously when I'm out walking I don't have the guitar, but usually I have the bones of the melody and I can just hum it or you know, I'll just sing it. Yeah. Um but yeah. My acoustic guitar usually and then sometimes the electric will help just bring some new spice, you know, but usually it's my yeah. acoustic guitar. So if you get a lyric or a theme that starts the song, does it um, have a melody attached to it in your head as it comes out? Or is there written words that then you try and work into a melody? It's usually a melody and words that come to yeah. me. It's usually like the hook. It's actually usually the hook. And then I'll like write around that. Yeah. That makes sense from listening to your music. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get back into your history a little bit here and tie it in. You have lived in places that I know of, California, South Carolina, Spain, Oregon, right? Yes, and a little bit in Montana. Okay. These are four really different places in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We can see the references lyrically to these different parts of your life in your music and thematically in the songs as well. We'll talk about that when we talk about the songs, but I want to ask you if you think there are musical influences from these different places that show up in your work, like in the sounds or in the creative styles or choices. Um, that's interesting. Um, 
I was kind of lured to Appalachia. You know, like, I, I got really, like, bluegrass and string band, like, that kind of vibe definitely, like, pulled me east. Um, and then it was, like, I don't know, moving to Spain, we were playing rock. Like, we played a lot of Rolling Stones, and we would play uh, Ryan Adams and listen to Williams' music, and just, yep. like, it was, like, full Americana you know, like, it's yeah. basically like Lost Highway Records, top to bottom, discography. You know, like, it was, I, I got deep into that world. I've heard from several artists about the appreciation that European fans have for traditional American music, particularly the Americana style. Yeah, you know, and maybe I thought, like, there was a time, I mean, you know, the California bluegrass world is like, it runs deep, too. There's like, yep. the tradition out west is, you know, it's... Uh, it's deep and I think I kind of had to let go though because I lyrically liked things that were more broad in scope yeah that strayed a little deeper into the psyche I guess or you know songs about fixing problems right I mean romantic issues aren't the only problems we have to solve like it's just it's relatable to everyone but it's like we have so much (laughs) to figure out you know and I like songwriting that delves into that. And like Neil Young, I don't know, there's plenty of that in so many different writers. And then you have so many different perspectives depending on who you're listening to. But I mean, I love writers that have the audacity to kind of take on greater issues, I guess. Yep. Let me ask you this. Your lyrics and the imagery in your lyrics often, at least from my perspective, allow the listener to conjure up their own stories, right? We, we talked about amb- we referenced the ambiguity earlier. Um, some of these songs have been around for a while, right? Yeah. Has your relationship to these songs changed over time? Maybe your internal stories changed at all regarding some of these songs? I mean, I haven't had a chance to tour these songs. I haven't physically played them hundreds of times to a live audience, you know? Oh, okay. Because um, I haven't had the chance due to COVID. <laughs> right. Some of them, though, I've played, let's say, a hundred times at shows or... Um, like, you're asking kind of, like, does the story for me change yes. over time? Um, sometimes, yeah, little things are kind of uncovered from my songs to me. You know, I'll have little revelations about the songs, and it's like, that's always funny. When your song yeah. speaks to you in a new way. Or maybe you wonder if this is what you were writing about in the first place. Well, it's like, it's, yeah, like the song Barbed Wire Belly Crawl. That song, I played that for a couple of my friends, and... The friends I played it for happened to be mothers, and they just, like, that song wrecked them <laughs> emotionally. They uh. just, like, it hit such a chord with them, you know? And, um, I like, that was very revealing and interesting. Um, sometimes you don't really know who you're writing for, and then you'll, like, you know, you don't control that. That's just what it is. But, yeah, it's weird introspection to, like, look at these songs and say this is your, this is what you think of the world, or, like, this is what you're, you know, it's strange. I'll give it that, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Let's talk about this great album for a minute, Poho Real. I want to ask you about your experience working with a producer, um, in this case, uh, Sarah Cahoon, right? Yeah, yeah. You seem to work alone in your songwriting, right? No co-writes that I could see. Yeah, correct. Right? Yeah. And the music you recorded previously, I'm, I think you recorded yourself for the most part. Yeah, well, it was 
like in with other other engineers and stuff but yeah. it was yeah it's i'm i'm a very personal yeah it's mostly right. me so now you have these songs they're complete in the sense they have beginning middle and completely your vision and now you bring someone else in to kind of open these songs up to their interpretations, right? So was that hard or scary to allow someone else to kind of crack these songs open? Well, working with Sarah, Sarah's just so seasoned with arrangement and letting the song speak for itself. I mean, she just has this sensibility about not overcrowding the song itself, you know, keeping the song central. Yeah. And, I mean, I there were a few things I was... Um, you know, it's like, I want wine in the world to sound really sad or like, you know, to have to feel, I want that. I want everyone to know how sad I am about this, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, I want that to come through. I want the vocals on Kevin Johnson not to sound too soft or like too nice. You know, I want a little bit of raggedness here or like I had little, there are things that were important to me, but that's all, those are all things that I could tell Sarah and we made it happen, you know? Yes. And like, I don't know, I knew I had the, I had the instinct to work with a singer songwriter because through, I mean, I know how many songwriters records I've had to listen to in my career as a songwriter and just imagine someone who's been at it that much longer and like how many, what it takes for production to stand out and for production to honor the song, you know, it's like, I, I knew someone like that was a singer songwriter would, would have that ear for it right and i mean i just feel like honestly i feel it was just auspicious like working with sarah was a complete gut instinct thing and it ended up being incredible and it was healing it was positive it wasn't a power struggle it wasn't negative in yeah. any way which is insane <laughs> yeah i think the arrangements are just awesome i love the piano sounds something yeah. about the piano sound sounds so honest and direct, which kind of matches your lyrical style and your vocal style. The percussion, the drums on some of these songs, the way that just bounces and shuffles, shuffles us along without being mm -hmm. too overpowering is just so great. Were you surprised at how some of these arrangements worked out? Well, I mean, the whole, like, I didn't even hear piano on this record. If you had asked me to bring the band together, I probably would have over... You know, I wouldn't have even thought of piano, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean... We gave Jenny Conley the first pass. Like, we tracked guitar, bass, and drums uh, with a scratch vocal. And then we gave Jenny first pass with piano and key, like keys. That's the smartest thing we did in the studio. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, I, yeah, I think it, it, it did. It kind of brought it is immediately. It kind of brings it down to earth immediately. You know, it's like we're not messing around. This isn't like we're not here to like just paint the pretty palette. It's like somehow it lends it kind of, it's like kind of more of a throwback maybe. Like, I don't really know what edge it kind of lends it, but it's kind of like bigger than a rock and roll arrangement or I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It is. It's striking in some way. I couldn't put my finger on it either, but the piano really stood out to me for sure. Let's talk about maybe a couple of these songs in particular. Okay. Opening song, That River. Mm -hmm. I usually try and avoid the questions or comments that artists hear a lot of. But I really can't help myself here. That's fine. Okay. You know where this is going probably. I think a great opening line in a song can be so important. 
I forget what songwriter said something like, with a good song, since it's a short form, you are dropped in the middle of an ongoing story. So the opening line is critical, right? So here we have this opening line, which I'm sure you've heard repeated back to you many times. That river in the winter, it could fuck me up. Now, we're certainly dropped into a story here, like why is this narrator so worried about this river? This line not only opens the song, but it opens the album. I'm guessing this was not a difficult decision to make to open the record with this song in this line. Um, am I right? Yeah, yeah, it was not a difficult decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A number of your songs have great opening lines. Is this something you specifically focus on? Um, it's. I don't know if it's something I focus on. I guess it's just that, like, I like pizzazz. I get so bored listening to music. I, I, I you know, <laughs> I just get so bored. And I, there's a lot of writers out there. Like, it's like, okay, we'll get, we'll get there. We'll. You know, well, okay, I'll give you the first verse, like, we'll see what you do with the chorus. You know, it's like, but I'm already, if I'm already wishing I was listening to another album, like, you lost me, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, the audience doesn't owe me anything, you know? And I, I think it's a privilege to have an audience, and that's why I take it upon myself to try to grab people, I guess. Yeah. song that river is a complex song lyrically we talked we're going to talk about ambiguity yeah. here again if we can um in this song this there's like this magical balance between personal reflection and maybe more universal messaging that hits home for the listener and there's a lot of that in your your lyrics you kind of leave breadcrumbs for the listener without being too direct right <laughs> yeah i like that yeah so how thoughtful are you about finding that sweet spot breadcrumbs um yeah it's kind of that hokey it's kind of a hokey song structure thing but it's like here like first verse is going to be personal second verse is going to be a little further away and then third verse is like you know we are the world (laughs) yeah (laughs) and hopefully i don't go full we are the world every time but you know and like on tehachapi for example right it's like you have the like mundane and then a little deeper and then the like the allegory or like the cautionary, like, I don't know, the, the, the motto, or I don't know, what's the word I want? The, uh, the lesson. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the live, laugh, love. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. The lesson, like the, um, the call to action, let's say. Okay. I don't know. I always like that. Like, you're kind of like, where's this person going? Like, okay, we get like, this is a weird setup. What's the message, you know? Yeah. It's like, I mean, if you, did you grow up going to church? 
Oh, yes. So, you know, it's like you, it's like the most, I mean, I've listened to so many sermons that just start with the most, like, you are just way out there, and it's like, somehow this is going to tie back. Right. But it's a hell of a ride to get back, <laughs> let's just yeah. say. Yeah. And it's like, so rewarding when you get back there, and that dime, the dime <laughs> yeah, drops, as they say, Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. And like that, I mean, I love songwriting as a form of oral tradition, and like the mm. legacy of that is super interesting to me. And, like, um, I love, I think it was Bob Dylan, I don't know if it was Dylan talking about someone else or someone else talking about Bob Dylan. Maybe it was Dylan talking about Woody Guthrie or something, but it's like, you know, these are songs that teach you how to live. You know, these aren't just passing fancies. Like, these can help you know what to do, yes. <laughs> you know? And, and that I gets mean, back to that that gets back to that sweet spot between personal reflection and universal appeal of a song. It has to hit that mm-hmm. in order for people to take the lesson themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Well, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's opening the door for them. It's certainly like making it easier. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what other songs resonate with me. You know, do other artists open that door for me? And is that important, you know? Or are we able to just hear someone give their first person narrative and we just find our way? Like, does it have to be so explicit? Like, because I I err on the side of, I kind of make it explicit sometimes, you know, like the life lesson. And it's kind of corny, but I don't know. I don't know. know, I would say you err on the other side most of the time. Okay, okay. Not being explicit. And I think that's why it works. Um, you leave it to the reader to find his way, or the listener, let's say. Yeah. Um, yeah. You brought up the song Tehachapi. Let's go there. This is a fun song. It stands out a bit in the album in terms of musical style, right? I love the yeah. New Orleans-y, the New Orleans-y horn sounds. Yeah. Playful song. You reference the Little Feet song Willing, Willin a couple of times, including the mm-hmm. throwing in the chord progression riff there. Um yeah brought this song about and can you talk about how maybe it stands apart a bit in vibe from the rest of the other a lot of the other songs on the record oh yeah this song kind of just became the source for joy and exuberance against the other songs and like it's just the it's kind of somehow became the like light-hearted more triumphant track and that's certainly like you just said like it, it it is a little different and i i was grateful that i came up with something that was fun that I truly felt like the audience might have fun listening to. (laughs) Not like, okay, sit back everybody, you know, (laughs) put the Kleenex aside for a second. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I was, I was working on a farm when this song was inspired and it was like, I had my lunch break and I was sitting outside my little humble abode, you know, picking the guitar. And it was like just a very pure and, um, you know, it came from a a very grounding time for me. I was burned out from touring and I was just working on a farm and that really, it was so healing to me. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you get to think about the road when you're, when you're not traveling as much. And that was my time to kind of think about the Southwest and, you know, driving along the desert, you know, it's, it was a, it was a world apart at that time because I wasn't out touring. Pasture and the fog rolling into petaluma, and I brought those two 
sister sings with you on this record. Mm-hmm. Has she always been part of your musical journey? Um, she basically always has been. Yeah, like we, yeah, when we were in high school, we started kind of performing here and there as a duo. Um, when I was playing, I play guitar. She plays guitar as well, but mostly it's like I would play guitar and we would sing harmony. And that was like our party piece at Thanksgiving for the family. And we were just tapped. It was like funerals, weddings, every, all yeah. of the above, you know? Um, so we were like a gigging duo, kind of just like the, by default, I guess. Well, it must be fun to be able to bring her in on your records now. Yeah, and it's it feels it's really amazing how it's kind of lasted. And I mean there's so much uncertainty. I could barely depend on I mean, let's I mean if you look at it, given how many different bandmates and iterations of the band I've had, like it doesn't make sense that my sister would fit in, you know, just based on like where I'm living and this and that. But yeah. it's kinda it was kind of relieving to to kind of find my way back to the West Coast and I'm it's nice to it's nice that we're both in the same place relatively and um I actually can't I can't track harmonies on my own singing. <laughs> I can't I, I it sounds so unnatural to me to overdub my own harmony parts. Huh. Um because it's like there's a voice that should be doing this and it's my sister's. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean it's just I cannot for the life of me. So you go to the source. Yeah, I just, like, it's, it's like, I couldn't. Why would I, you know? And it's just so <laughs> funny. I just lean all, all over to guitar parts and this and that. But, like, when it comes to my harmony singing, like, the harmony parts, it's just, like, I've had to do it a couple times or, like, try to do it. But it's just not something, it's not something I like. Hmm. Um, I've just been spoiled, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky to have her. I am lucky to have her. And it's, you know, it's really incredible like source of healing for us to travel together Hmm. and just go on these like adventures together that we'll talk about the rest of our lives you know yeah that's i mean there's nothing like when we're just like saddled up and driving around together (laughs) meeting people and i mean we really lucked out you know it was a good it was just like it's really I'll, i'll share you know it's just something i'll cherish and as long as she can put up with me i'm excited to collaborate with her that's great i want to talk about the song kevin johnson you mentioned it earlier i am intrigued by this song because of the creative choice here you bring in um kind of traditional southern folk styles musically Um, you talked about the raggedness of the sound as well as in some of the lyrical choices you know sitting on pappy's knee that kind of phrasing as the song rolls along there's darkness underneath here the truths maybe of the song or the character are belied by this traditional presentation, right? Mm-hmm. I was reminded of Randy Newman's amazing album, Good Old Boys. I don't know if you know that one, but... Oh, cool. Yeah, I... Yeah, he brings out these dark truths about traditional Southern American life, but using characters and musical styles of the times, and it is so powerful. This approach can... to that, yeah. Oh, it's so good. This approach can go wrong creatively, I think, pretty easily, but you pull it off here really well. How did you arrive at this choice to kind of take on this idea using this traditional sound and, and language approach? Well, you know, this song arrived out of necessity. Like, it's not something I want to do with my art, just blatantly write 
there's an annoying guy I know. He's from the South. Why is he, you know, right. why, you know, I, like nobody wins with that if I were to do it. You know, it wouldn't be doing myself a service as an artist because my end To do thing, it straight. Yeah, to do it yeah. straight. I don't know. Um, and more than anything, it's like, why, 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 right? Get to the root of the problem. There's always, you know, is this a symptom? Let's dig deeper. You know, there's always deeper systemic things at play and I guess it's just my way of like deconstructing a behavior I saw or a person I met you know um yeah and I mean the song is what it is like it all kinds of people bop to it you know and it's there yes. it's there it's up to them to to take away what they want you know and I it's for me it was something that felt good to do and good to put out there But by doing it in this style, maybe you felt you would bring the audience in maybe a little more easily. Well, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. And, you know, for the right right person, I knew that this would not fall on deaf ears to the right people, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. I knew there'd be people to whom it, like, for whom it resonated. And I kind of, I like that. I don't know. It felt a little subversive to kind of like have something that's for only the people that would get it. Like it, yeah. this song would be lost on a Kevin Johnson, basically. <laughs> Kevin Johnson, he took a Bonnie wife. Yeah, Kevin Johnson took a Bonnie wife. have to talk about the song all the wine in the world closing track this is a really really great song you should be really proud of this i assume you are thank Um, you first of all at first i thought the line i wish i had all the time in the world was a surprising sentiment for someone so young (laughs) but upon further listening it seems to me this song is the most complete and maybe beautiful statement of the themes of this record to me, it says you want to be in more than one place at a time, right? Of course, totally. I love the line, quote, funny thing happened this last time I went out traveling, nobody's lives stood still, end quote. This is the dilemma of the traveler, right? Wandering versus staying, life goes on when you aren't there to share it, right? So can you talk about this song and, and that kind of theme that's present in a lot of this record? Well, it was kind of that whiplash of, of saying yes to everything for a year for my music, you know, in 2017, like it was this crazy year of like saying yes to these outlandish schemes <laughs> to try to <laughs> put, to try to be a performing songwriter, you know, with no full length album to my name, just like absurd, just like the craziest thing. And then kind of realizing that was killing me slowly and, and just settling down and then, like taking a very deep breath and 
yeah, you can't help but reflect on like what you missed when you were out and then and what you missed when you were in, you know? Yep. It was that perfect storm of reflecting on what I missed when I was gone and then also what I was missing while being stuck where I was. <laughs> and like mortality is obviously like is right there on in this song and I I had just found out a friend of mine in Spain was diagnosed with ALS. And he's, like, a dear friend and, like, the most outgoing, gregarious, like, this amazing guy in his, like, in his 50s at the time, you know. And, like, it's, like, just a, you know, just a gut punch kind of diagnosis that just doesn't make sense, you know. You'd never, it's, like, the one person <laughs> you would think is, you know, above any kind of thing like that. Yeah. Um, and it's just, that was just really rattling for me. Um to have to, you know, just to face that, you know? Yep. Funny thing happened this last time when I was traveling. Nobody's life stood still. My grandfather tended to his bees in his garden. And we lost him on the first of the year. And I'm bound to lose loved ones on both sides It's my life, I can relate, participate But I just wish that I had more time Now, we haven't talked much about your time in Spain, and this is important to you. You're, you've spent a lot of time over there, and, and I know you consider it a very important place in your life. Do you see yourself kind of in two places at once as a creative person? Is there something about your life in Spain that you associate with a part of your creative self that is different than who you are in the West Coast, say, creatively? That's interesting. Um, I think... More than anything, like, my experience living in Spain is more of, like, a testament to the magic of music and how I was able to, like, crack into this community over there because of music, you know? I mean, the way it happened, it was just, like, it was, like, gasoline and matches. Like, it was just, like, a, <laughs> I don't know, a flame to gasoline. It was just, like, little... I showed up somewhere new, and it was, like, nothing could come between myself and music you know it was like I was in a band within three weeks of moving to Spain yeah. and I was in another band and then I was in the good band <laughs> yeah. and then we were recording in a, my first time in a studio and then I was cutting class to make my record like make my first DP and go play shows and this and that you know and it was just like it's cool to like be in a new context and still see music as the, as kind of the the nucleus of it, you know? Yeah. And just the, the opportunities that came my way because of my love for music and like paying it forward in, in some ways, you know? Yes. Um, just like, okay, they want to hear me sing Janis Joplin. Okay. I'm going to give them this gift <laughs> begrudgingly <laughs> sometimes, but like, you know, this is like, I can do this. This is the trade, right? Like I know how to sing this song. <laughs> like I will do it. Yeah. 
Um, but I actually also like with country music, you know, it's so localized in place and like the tradition is so very much rooted in place. But I've always thought country music t- took itself too seriously and I hated that. It's like there's a world beyond Texas. There is, <laughs> there's, you know, and there are people, there are pastoralists everywhere. Like, you know, it's, I mean, it's so, it's just interesting. I, 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 just I won't, that's the blasphemous <laughs> statement. I may have to edit that out, but we'll let it go for now. <laughs> Don't let it Texas. ride. Yeah. I'll, I'll get, I'll get the haters. I, um, when I hear you talk about Spain, I, I'm going to paraphrase here. It, it seems to me like you felt like something was born there in you creatively. I think, I felt, yeah, I felt permission to own music as part of my identity. Hmm. And just, there were a couple hard things about living there, but also just like giving myself to joy and just enjoying people and music, you know, that was just, I mean, it's not a bad place to have a good time. I'll say that yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that also, that was part of it too. I like I like writing. I like being on the go. I like I like seeing myself in new places and reflecting and writing as part of my traveling, you know. Yep. Yeah, so when we talk about the tensions in this in some of these songs about, you know, the traveler's dilemma and time and and space and distance, do you think you are more drawn to wanting to live spend more time specifically in Spain and in Oregon? And the West Coast, or is it more the pull of travel in general that 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 is pulling at you? I I can safely say I don't know where I will be. <laughs> yeah. In the future, I don't know. That's great. Yeah, I don't. Um, I just don't know how it will all unfold. You know. Yeah. I, it's exciting. Uh, it's ex- yeah. I. I mean, I when I I actually just went back to the Basque Country. Um, it was my first flight since COVID and I got on a plane and this is just in November. This is over Thanksgiving actually. To Spain. Yeah. And I hadn't been there since, uh, December of 2019. So it was like two years later, I guess. And, um, I went back to sing in a benefit concert for my friend Jaime who has ALS. And it was like this kind of full circle with that. Um, but you know, I'm walking around the town there and I like, I'm bumping into people I know, like you would in any town in which you've lived that was small enough to like have that, you know? And it's like, it's just like, I'm a neighborhood. I'm like that neighborhood person that often has a guitar with her, you know, right? I exist in that form to the people of Bilbao. And that's really interesting to be like a neighborhood person um, that far away, you know, right? to yeah. exist in that. That's just really, it's funny. I don't know. Um, well, maybe you could do that somewhere else someday. Maybe I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I have to cut you off, Margo, because we've, I, I think I've taken up almost enough of your time. This has been it's great. Fine, I could yeah. go on for a while. I'm going to finish up with one question. If that's okay. So these songs on this album were written a few years ago, most of them, right? So, I assume you've been writing since then and you have new songs or working on new songs. Are there ways in which your approach to songwriting do you think has changed over this time? Are you trying to do things differently, trying to get better at certain things? Has it evolved in any noticeable ways for you? Um, I have written quite a few songs since COVID and I am kind of, it's like if, 
if my next record is a chunk of marble, I've like picked up the chisel. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I mean, so much of like you know the the confusion of COVID, the just being unemployed and pacing around. I mean, a lot of these, it wasn't about like songwriting practice as much as like just survival, you know? So (laughs) I can't really say a lot of it was that I didn't have to think too hard about songwriting. It was a comfort to me during the pandemic, like playing my guitar felt good. Um, I had lots of solitude, which is nice for that. Um, it's very strange to have released professionally one album worth of songs and then (laughs) look at my writing from that other side, you know? And, um, it's, it's quite a trip. (laughs) (laughs) um and i i'm excited i don't know my influences like i you can definitely tell i was living in a small town in rural america on my next batch of songs i'll say that much okay (laughs) and i had you know i had a diamond rio cd in my car stereo so it's (laughs) kind of a weird time um it's definitely i'm not putting out a uh, contemporary jazz record i'll say that much all right well we look forward to hearing those songs as well and maybe out on the road sometime yeah that's i know um hopefully next year we see you out here in the midwest sometime too evanston let's do it yes all right margo yeah we'll wait for the weather to clear up but uh, we'll be out there (laughs) well thanks so much for taking this time i really enjoyed this conversation thank you thanks for your, your interest in the record and for well yeah i just appreciate you uh digging in.